fall into the trap of celebrating the past work of God in this community and in this church and lose the mission that he has given us this day, today. There's never been a time that it was not important for each generation to teach the generations coming up behind them uh, to walk in the ways of God. That has always been important. We see it in Scripture, right? There's never been a time that that was not important. And the numbers tell us that each week, that each month, and that each year, there are less and less church folk in our country. There are less and less people who affiliate with any type of religion at all. Folks have quit coming to church. There are less and less church people in our communities, less and less people who identify with any religion, much less of the Christian faith. Luke chapter 19, verse 10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And we see throughout the Gospels, Jesus, who's being spoken of here in Luke, seeking those who fall into the category of the lost. Lostness in the world that day and lostness in our world today knows no boundaries. The rich are lost, the poor are lost, the thicker are lost, the thinner are lost, the good-looking are lost, the uglier are lost. It does not matter. Lost is lost, and lost needs found, and lost needs rescue. While we celebrate today, uh, above all days, the great things God has done for this church body, we must act in a state of emergency because we also see folks in our community even in our homes, dying every day separated from God, and then eternally separated from God. Acting in this state of emergency status is where we're at right now. And I'm thankful to say that our local body has many ministries while serving the Lord by serving others done each week, each day and each week and each month. Between our participation in the SBC co-op program, disaster relief, the jail ministries, Good News Club, Dinner Church, the Nursing Home Ministry, local, uh, state, national, and international missions. We are from generation to generation carrying out the Great Commission as given to us by Christ in the book of Matthew. And I'm thankful to be able to report to this church that since last homecoming, last October, we've baptized 16 believers into the faith, including three who Bobby and Donnie and Chuck baptized in the jail. We're thankful for that. Now, before this, before we can carry out these ministries, the ones that I named and the unnamed, we gotta have a starting point. Within the walls of our homes, as Pastor Chuck reminded us last week, and then within the walls of this building, this is where from generation to generation, we are to teach uh, the why before we teach the how. Why do we do that? Before we teach the next generation how to serve by serving in so many different ways, we must teach them why. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. All these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. When you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on, your door, on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. There's our charge. Moms and dads, mamaws and papaws, siblings, older and younger, 
Sunday school teachers, small group leaders, deacons and their wives, ministry leaders, any believer that can hear me right now, that's our charge. Love God with everything you have. Love God with everything that you have. Teach God's word to the next generation. Talk about God's word at home, on the ball fields, on the ball courts, before you go to bed, when you get up. Teach the next generation. And then we say with confidence, to God be the glory, great things he hath done. Let's pray, church. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your blessings on us. Lord, we thank you for giving us this day, giving us the privilege of coming together in your house as a local body of believers, uh, Lord, to worship you. May, so we, may we do that in spirit and truth as we have. May we do that in spirit and truth. We truly thank you for giving us this day. And Lord, we thank you for 149 years, how you have blessed this local body of believers. Lord, may we be thankful. Lord, we also have a whole lot of folks that are sick, that we love and we care about. Families have been facing death. Uh, families and, and individuals who are facing surgeries and uncertainties in an uncertain world. But Lord, we're thankful that we have a God who is faithful and just. And Lord, that we have a, a God that loves us and hears our prayers and cares immensely. We're thankful that we have a great God to pray to who answers us. Lord, I ask that you take the balance of this service uh, and may, be, may it bring glory to your name. Thank you for this great church. In Jesus' name, amen. Almost every week this year, we've had uh, someone come and share their testimonies. And what better uh, Sunday than to have somebody share their testimony. And so my sister Betty C. is going to come and share with you all. And she absolutely blessed us at the 830 service, and I know she will now. Uh, but as she's coming, I do want to say I'm thankful that Marshall Endicott and his family is here back with us. And we're thankful that Jay Mabry is here, among others. I'm thankful everybody's here. But those two stood out to me. Uh, the tough road that they've been on, so we are thankful for them. So, but, uh, Sister Betty, if you would share with us. Good morning, church. Brother Chuck had asked me to share my testimony, and he said, would you also include some of the remembrances you have of growing up here in this church and the things I remember about the early part of my life, because that is a major part of my testimony. And I'm gonna go down through memory lane for a little while. I can't go back 149 years, but I can go back as far as maybe half that, um, back in the 50s at least. And I'm gonna start out with my family because that's where it starts, is in the home and in the family. My parents were R.T. and Anna Louise Burns. I grew up in a very safe and loving, secure home. I was also fortunate to live close to my maternal grandparents Claude and Herma Wilson, and they both greatly attributed to influence my life. Although my home was not a dysfunctional home by any means, you could say it was kind of a divided household by denomination, uh, half Baptist and half Methodist. You see, when my parents married in 1942, both of them had been raised in, in church, and they had very strong ties, very strong convictions about their denomination and the closeness to their church family. My father's grandfather, Roland Tiernan Burns, was one of the founding charter members of the Methodist Church here in Louisa. 
my great-grandparents' names are on one of the big stained glass windows there in that church, which is now called Hilltop Methodist. My dad uh, was always active. He sang in the choir, as did his dad before him. And um, my mother, of course, too, was devoted to her church family as well and to the Baptist faith. I can't tell you if there was ever an argument or not, because that may have been before my time, but they agreed to keep attending their respective churches. As a young boy, my brother attended with my mother, but when I arrived on the scene about eight years later, my daddy suggested that he start taking Tommy with him, and I could be raised as a Baptist with my mother. My mother related to me later years how Daddy had to chase Tommy around the car several times to get him to go with him. <laughs> but, and my mother, how she cried all through that service that day. And I know it, it's kind of an odd situation, it made me a strange situation, but it, it was just a normal way of life for us. And I can't say whether that was a right thing or a wrong thing, but I do know one thing, that there was never, ever a question about where we were to be on Sunday morning. My father was a dairy farmer for most of his life and uh, the first 10, 11 years of my life. And those cows had to be milked every morning and every evening. And I don't remember him ever missing church because the cows weren't milked. They were done beforehand. And regardless of the circumstances and regardless of what time we got into bed the night before or anything else, we went to Sunday school and church on Sunday because it was a priority in our household. My earliest memories of First Baptist Church are what we now think of as the young funeral home chapel. I remember sitting in those little red wooden chairs in the beginner's department, hearing the stories of Jesus, which were reinforced by my mother and by my grandmother. I never go into that chapel that a lot of childhood memories start coming back into my mind. My mother was always singing in the choir, so I would sit with my grandmother and um, my mother actually sang in the choir for 67 years. She started singing at the age of 16 when the choir director was Leif Wellman in 1938. And she sang until 2006 when she had an accident and passed away a few months later. She stood beside Florine Hampton. And Florine said she could never sing again. She had to sing next to Annie. <laughs> but. Um, it was unusual in that, if you recall how that church is arranged, there's a door on the right and a door on the left when you go in, and I always thought, well, maybe you go in on the right and you come out on the left, but now I'm thinking possibly it's because when you went in there, the women sat on the right and the men sat on the left. They did not sit together. And like I said, as I sat with my grandmother many times, one Sunday I decided I would go uh, sit with my papa over there with the men, and I did, and I plopped down between him and Mr. Jim Adams, Jim Adams and his wife Dora lived in the house where uh, Taylor Chiropractic is today. And I guess I was kind of squirmy, squirmy kid, and I guess I was getting on Brother Adams' nerves. So he reached over and he pinched the fire out of me. <laughs> and that really, it hurt, but it also hurt my feelings more than anything. And from that time on, I always sat with my grandmother and I think she pinched me a few times too, but I thought, felt like, well, she had the right to do that. I was seven years old in 1958 when the new church um, was dedicated, and I can remember well, Dr. Shealy leading the congregation 
to the song, To God Be the Glory, and those words being imprinted on the wall above the choir loft. I do, as I, as I think about pastors, I do faintly remember Brother Charles Gray, who was an interim pastor here for a couple of years um, after Brother J.C. Hager stepped down in 1953 and before the church called Brother O. Ray Weeks in 1956. And it was during his pastorate that the building uh, that we are in, in now, the new, the old sanctuary actually, um, was the transition was made from the uh, older, old building to the new. Brother Weeks had two sons, Larry and John. John was my age, so we were in a lot of classes together. Um, his sweet wife, Katie, was a precious helpmate to him. She could play the piano like no other. And uh, she was actually my fifth grade school teacher until they left in 1962 when the Weeks family left Louisa. We had actually had a piano in our, old, in our classroom because she played for us many times. Um, I have really fond members of Vacation Bible School during those days. Uh, it was always held in the morning from 9 to 12 because all the mothers were stay-at-home moms and they were available to work in, in Bible school. The church purchased an old school bus and Jim's uncle, Amos C., many, many, many years before I ever met Jim, uh, would drive to the community of Clifford and bring a busload of kids uh, down to Louisa from Clifford for VBS and then take them back home because Brother Weeks had a vision and a heart for outreach. Another interesting person that just comes to my mind, and I can't name them all, oh, there's too many, but I'm just going to give you a few, was... Uh, those days was Pud Wheeler. Actually, her name was Blanche, but Pud, everybody called her Pud, and she kind of ran things around here. Not only did she play the organ, but she handled all the Sunday school records for many, many years, and she may have been the church treasurer too. I'm, I'm not certain about that. But um, every Sunday morning, at least during the growing season, Pud would have the most beautiful arrangement of fresh flowers on the table in front of the pulpit because on Saturday she would go all over town and bum uh, from people's gardens to get those flowers and then she would create these gorgeous arrangements and then after the Sunday services were over she would take them to someone who was sick or shut in. I also remember someone who was very kind and, and would take in young women from time to time maybe those that lived out in the country and couldn't come to church but if they were having some issues or problems at home or something, she would let them stay with her so they could come to church with her and she could encourage them. Another individual that came to my mind was Brother Casey Walker, who was a deacon. Brother Walker was always very stern-faced, and I can probably count on one hand the times that I saw him smile or I heard him laugh, but he was a faithful man. And my most favorite memory of him was as he walked around the church after each service to check all the doors to see if they were locked, there would be a little chubby boy that would follow him around right on his heels. And that little boy's name was Rick Frazier. Another lady that comes to my mind was Aura Kinsler. She was a very prim, devout lady. Her husband, J.B., uh, worked at the First National Bank. But I don't recall him ever coming to church with her. She came by herself. She was my grandmother's Sunday school teacher, and my grandmother thought the world of her. And my fondest memory of her was before every service, 
While the rest of the congregation was fellowshipping and talking, Mrs. Kinsler kept her head bowed and her eyes closed, praying for the service. Though I was a young girl, I noticed that. We must never forget that there are young eyes that are watching us. I can recall the names of so many of my teachers, and I'll probably leave some out, and, and the leaders throughout the years, Irene Stansberry, Shirley Hager-Mead, that was Florine's sister, Eloise Rucker, that's Tracy's uh, grandmother, um, Mary Ethel Billups, Nona Wright, that was Miss Adrian's mother. Miss Adrian was a Sunday school teacher for a period of time too. Uh, Julia Ann and Jenny Lee Workman were our youth directors. Um, George Mary Thacker worked with the youth uh, while we were in that age. And when I was around 19 to 20 years old, uh, I was asked if I would teach a class of young preteen girls. And I'm not sure if that was a wise decision or not, but I accepted that challenge. And among those girls, I recall Mary Gray Adams, Krista Crum Lyons, Elaine C. Mabry, Suzanne Ferguson Stortz, Kim Matney Feltner, Sharon Catherine and Lori Edwards. I know there were many more, and I apologize if I left someone out, but it's good to see that many of them are still here with their children and their grandchildren serving in this church. Brother Jimmy Grayson came to this church in 1962 with his wife, Evelyn, who was suffering from MS, and his two children, Mark and Jamie Lynn. And during this time, his time here, I was saved at the age of almost 12 and baptized in June of 1963. My memory of him was that he always encouraged me. He knew I was shy. He knew I liked to read. So he assigned a book for me out of the church library called Bill Wallace of China. And it was about a missionary who was in prison during the Chinese Revolution, I think back in the late 40s, I believe, I'm not certain. But uh, he told me, I want you to read this, or write a book report, and stand up and present it to the church. And I appreciated his helping me get over my shyness. I attended Sunbeams as a small child, which is now called Mission Friends. Girls Auxiliary was another avenue to learn all about missions and memorize scriptures led by Dr. Shealy's wife, Bobby Shealy, and Aletha Osborne, that's Carol Workman's aunt. Every Monday after school, we would meet in the WMU parlor for our meeting, which always began with all of us standing and singing, we have a story to tell to the nations. In 1965, Brother Lee Gore and his wife Eloise arrived at First Baptist along with their two beautiful daughters, Judy and Linda. Both of them found their husbands while they were here at this church. And it was during this time that the church purchased the Salmon's property where the parsonage was built. And that then the family, later the Family Life Center and the school building. Brother Gore was a, a singer, he was an artist, and his wisdom always stands out in my memory. In 1967, my sophomore year of high school, Brother Ralph Webb came as pastor. He was very strict, very, very conservative, and he was here for a total of 11 years, which was longer than any pastor that I could ever remember in my life. But I so appreciated Brother Webb. He had so much knowledge, biblical knowledge, and all that I learned under his ministry. When he left in 1978, the church called Webb Ferguson and his wife Donna 
their son Danny had already left home, and but Sherry and Tina were in their teens, and and this was a time of a really a big change in my life. I had married previously six years before, and at this time I had a daughter, Leanna, six, and a son, Michael, three. And I'm so proud of them today. Our children all live in different communities, but I'm so thankful that they are serving in, in the churches where they live. Um, I went, when I married the first time, I went against God's perfect will. I think he has a perfect will, and I think he has a perm permissive will. And I married a non-believer. And when God's word says, do not be unequally yoked, that's exactly what it means, young people. Jim had a nine-year-old daughter, and we met and dated for about a year, and then put our families together. Brother Ferguson married us in September of 1978, 45 years ago. And it was a time of, of new beginnings in my life. The church was growing. Brother Ferguson, his messages, Sally McDowell's um, music ministry, it was like a revival every time I came to church. I rededicated myself to the Lord, and, and I felt God's presence in my life in just a new and special way. When Brother Ferguson left in 1981, it was heartbreaking, but I think we were still excited about the next man that God was going to bring us. When the next pastor came in 1981, I think I still wanted to hear, I wanted to hear the same style of preaching. And I know we shouldn't compare, but sometimes it's just human nature to do so. And there started to be some division in the church. There were some people that were leaving. There was some grumbling. And Jim and I would actually visit other churches on Sunday night just to hear a different preacher. We were invited to a small church right over the Boyd County line called Bernal Baptist, and we visited there on a Sunday evening. Now, this is the hard part. After visiting that church, I started to feel an unease in my spirit and a drawing to that congregation. I did not like that feeling at all. I shared this with Jim, who was leaning the same way, but he said he knew that definitely Betty was not ever going to leave her home church. After weeks of unrest and studying the scripture and wanting to be in God's will and not wanting to be impulsive and do anything that I would regret later, I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep, I had no peace. And while I was praying one evening, God and I just had a very sweet, intimate moment. And his spirit whispered to my heart. And he said, go ahead. It's going to be okay. And immediately, I had peace in my spirit that I had not felt in weeks. So we left First Baptist Church, and we transferred our membership to Burnall Baptist Church. In April of 1983 until this year, 2023. And those were 40 wonderful years with a great church full of wonderful and sweet people. I have no regrets. But again, as Satan does, sometimes he gets into a little cranny where we don't ex expect him to come. And there was started within that congregation a division that was upsetting and it was heartbreaking. Many times I would leave the service in tears and one night Jim and I got in the car and we looked at each other and said we're done we have to leave we didn't know where we were going but we knew we couldn't stay 
And the obvious thing was to come back to First Baptist Church because my heart, part of my heart was still here. And I knew so many people that were still here. So when I returned and I saw what was happening here and all the blessings and all the numerous ministries that were going on and, and, and the, the young families, and most of the people were in their 30s, the age I was when I, when I left, I, I just think, I realized that God was bringing me back home full circle, full circle. And I think of all those who had come before us in faith, believing, as Hebrews 11, 1 says, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Those people that looked and they planned and they prepared for what they may never actually see in this life. But of all the sermons I ever heard, probably, and it's probably been thousands over my lifetime, one's always remained in my heart, and I don't understand, didn't understand it, but I, now I see the significance. And it was a sermon that was preached by Brother Wib Ferguson, entitled, Back to Bethel, and it was based on the book of Genesis, where Jacob is fleeing his home to go live with his uncle Laban to flee his brother Esau's anger. And on the way journey there, he falls asleep. He places rocks under his head as a pillow, which I never understood that. But <laughs> and he falls asleep, and while that he's asleep, he has that vision of the staircase from heaven and the angels descending and ascending up and down the staircase, and God speaks to him in that dream and reaffirms the covenant that he had made with his father Isaac and his grandfather Abraham. And when Jacob woke up, he realized, he said, God is in this place. And he called this place Bethel, meaning, meaning house of God. And of course, many years later, Jacob goes and lives with his uncle Laban and he, he accumulates wealth, he accumulates wives and children, and, and God's speaks to him again and said, I want you to go back to your home place of your kindred. But he said, I want you to also, I want you to go back to Bethel. I want you to go back to that place where you first met me, where I first revealed myself to you. Jacob, the deceiver, had never had a personal relationship with the Lord God Almighty until that day. I want you to go back there and I want you to worship me again. And that's what Jacob did along with his family. And that pillar may have still been there of rocks. But he worshiped there. And God renewed that covenant again with Jacob. And Jacob renewed his vow to God. And the church, that's what homecoming is about. Coming back to where you first met God. Not necessarily a physical location. But in your heart and in your mind, in your spirit, go back to where that first time was that God became real to you, where you committed your life to him and you followed him. Sometimes we just need to go back and visit that. I just want to thank you so much for allowing me the privilege to, to share this testimony and to share my memories because they are precious to me. And all I can say is to God be the glory. Great things he has done. As Betty was sharing um, with that, what I could, kept on imagining is um, all these young ladies and little children that have been running around this church for so many years. Man, I know I won't be here. I'll be in heaven. But um, 
But I, I can't wait to one of them are standing up here doing this in, in 40 years, 50 years. Um, and if the Lord doesn't return, I'm, I'm, I'm going for the Lord returning before then. Um, but I'm sure they were as well. But I'm so thankful um, today that we get to go back and share in these beautiful memories. Today's homecoming. To God be the glory. Um, and on my office, in front of my office, I read every single day an uh, inscription that says, Believing God from generation to generation. And that's what it's all about. And I'm so thankful. Um, just as uh, she shared um, in the 19, mid-80s, um, this church voted uh, to uh, help a new church start in Meads Branch, Kentucky. Um, if you've ever been to Meads Branch, you know where it's at. Uh, Happy Mart is what it's well known for. Happy Mart put my family out of business. God bless them. It's not very happy to all us, you know what I'm saying? But um, um, that's where uh, uh, they decided to plant a church. My dad planted a church there at Emmanuel Baptist Church, and they're having homecoming today as well. But our church decided to help, and that's where I accepted Christ as my personal Savior um, there at Emmanuel. So our church, influenced in that, um, was able to be a part of my salvation experience. And here I am, a privilege of being your pastor today. But there has been a whole bunch of great um, men before me, and I am so thankful that I get to stand on their shoulders um, today and preach to you the gospel. And uh, one of the most famous preachers we had, and I believe people forget about him, but I wish you wouldn't. Um, I have a book, and you can share, and there's other, we can get more of these books. But there's a famous, we had a famous pastor um, back in 1925 that most majority of people do not know about. His name is B.R. Lakin. Um, B.R., he has a great-grandson who was raised here in our church. Um, Brian Colvin, if you remember him, he's like half of our other church in Georgetown right now um, is where he's living. But B.R. Lakin um, was called the war horse of preachers. Man, can you imagine having that title laid to you, the war horse of preachers? And he pastored our church in 1925, and a lot of people don't know this, but he was the one who was influencing and starting Liberty University um, there in Lynchburg, Virginia, one of the greatest, biggest schools that we have right now in America, not even Christian at all. And um, he pastored here, and Jerry Falwell considered uh, B.R. Lakin his pastor, the war horse of preachers. And then a few years later, and in the great flood of 1937, um, there was a gentleman named James Hager who was in that flood in Pikeville, and he moved down here in Louisa to take over our church in 1937 in that difficult time. And he had his daughter with him, um, Florine Hampton. And um, Florine became a part of our church for so many years, and um, we got to... Um, I had the privilege of doing her funeral just a couple years ago in the, in the middle of COVID um, with just a few of us able to be there. Um, then also, in 1965, um, I was not yet here in this world yet, but a new pastor came to town, and um, he brought two young ladies with him. Is Judy here? She's not even here with us today. Um, but Judy C. would be one of her, his daughters, and he left Judy, and um, both of their, his daughters found um, husbands here in our church, and Judy has been a member of our church for the last 60-some years serving the Lord, and I'm so thankful for that. I don't have daughters to leave you, <laughs> um, and that's, that's awesome because uh, 
I have two boys, I guess. But what happens is this. God has blessed us with what we have, and God gives, and God takes away. And the most important thing that we can say is this, blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. And I'm so thankful today, and you're worried. I know that it's probably five minutes to 12, 12 but what you have on your side today is that I like food. You know what I'm saying? So you have that going for you right now. I love to preach, but I love food. So there's a battle. You know what I'm saying? Um, there was a preacher yesterday, this week told me that he was, he said, you know what, I, I only, um, he, he says, I, I, I like to preach uh, 15 minutes, you know, and um, everybody likes me because I, I only preach 15 minutes. I said, you really, that's not a lie. That's a lie. He's like, what do you mean? That's all I preach. He said, I said, no. Everybody don't like you. I don't like you. <laughs> so, you know, you're going around bragging that you preach 15 minutes. I don't like you at all. You know what I'm saying? Um, so that could be a problem as well. But Psalm 78 is where we're going to be today in verses 1 through 8. And I want to read to you because when you know God, you're going to want everyone to know him. And Psalm 78, and if, if someone's sitting in front of you with a First Baptist shirt on, you can just read it off their back is where we're going to be. But verses 1 through 8. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, telling to the generations to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he's done. For he has established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make known them to their children, that the generation to come might know them, the children who will be born, that they may rise and declare to their children that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and may not like their, be like their fathers, a stubborn, a rebellious generation, a generation that did not set its heart right and whose spirit was not faithful to God. What we're going to see today is this. We who know God want to make known to all people who God is. And we see here in Scripture today is this. We want everyone, everyone, to know how great and how awesome is our God. That's what we want to know. We want to proclaim that to absolutely every single person. We want to declare his glorious deeds. We want to declare his power. We want to declare his mighty wonders. The Bible says in verse 4, We will not hide them from their children, telling to the generations to come the praise of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has has done. So what today we want to do is we want people to know that the Lord has done some awesome things. He has done some glorious deeds. He has given us absolutely everything we need. He has given us even his only begotten son so that we would not have to perish, but that we could have everlasting life. He has done marvelous things, but not only that, but he has power. We want absolutely everyone to know of the power of God. We want people to know today in the uttermost parts of this world that we want them to know that there's nothing absolutely 
absolutely nothing impossible to God. There's nothing too hard. There's nothing too difficult for him. The Lord's arms are long enough to take care of every single problem you have today. His heart has compassion big enough for the worst sins that you've committed that he will forgive you of those sins today. We want people to know that there's nothing too hard for our God, that he is omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He has all the power. He has all the presence. He's absolutely everywhere, and he knows everything. We want to know how people to know how amazing he is. We want to know people to know of his mighty wonders. We want people to know that he is a God of miracles. So many people look back and think God used to do miracles. God used to do amazing things. God used to save people. God used to change people. But we want to share with people today that God is still in the saving business. God is still in the miracle business. He's still in the healing business. He's still the one who can do amazing, amazing things today in your life. We want everyone to know how great and how awesome our God is. But not only that, but we want everyone to know how important and how holy is the word of God that he has given us. Verses 5 and 6 says this, For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, the children who were born, that they may arise and declare them to their children. We want absolutely everyone to know how important God's holy word is to us. Here we have mentioned today four generations. You may today be like me, and there are still four generations in your family. Um, I, I'm almost there, not there yet, but close. I have my, 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 my dad, then me, and then my boys. That's three generations. Um, I have grandkids not on the way. I don't even know if they're thinking about it right now at this point in their lives, but I'm thinking about it if they're not thinking about it. You know what I'm saying? I'm excited about coming on the, that fourth generation, wherever that is, but that's the four generations that he's asking us to consider today because why is that important? You know what? That's what happens from generation to generation. We pass down the importance of God's holy word. We pass down how the word of God is able to direct us in a confusing world. Right? Right now we have a t situation going on in our life that people don't know up from down. They don't know what's going on. They don't know right from wrong. We don't have to sit back and have some philosopher teach us that. We can crack open God's holy word and know the right from wrong. We can know that which way we should be able to go by trusting and putting our faith in the truth of God's holy word. But what happens today is the temptation of Satan is real upon people's life. Many times we think Satan um, tempts people with drugs. We think Satan tempts people with alcohol and, and different kinds of lifestyles and such as like that, which he does do. But you know what the devil does that most people do not recognize is that the devil tempts people in the understanding that they can question God's holy word, that they sit back and say, really, is this God's word? Does it mean what it means? Should I follow it? Should it be a part of my life? The devil is tempting people today to tell you that God's holy word is not inspired. It's not important. It's not significant in your life. But we as a church have been preaching for the last 149 years that we stand upon God's holy word and what thus it says for me and you. And because of that, we're still here today. Because of his grace and because of his goodness. Today, you need the Bible. 
Your children need the Bible. Your, your grandchildren, they, they may not be born yet, but you know one day they're going to need the Bible. And then their children that's going to be born after them, they're going to need the Bible. You know what? The people who started this church 149 years ago didn't know my name. They didn't know your name. But their faithfulness to God allowed for me and you to come to church today. And you know what? If the Lord reigns and he allows it to happen, in a few years down the road, when most of us are gone, we won't know their names either. But, but they'll, be, they'll be standing on our shoulders preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what? We want people to know how important God's holy word is in their life today. But not only that, but we want everyone to know that they can put their trust in the Lord. The first part of verse 7 says this, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God. How can we teach our children to trust God? It's a very hard question to grab a hold of. How can we teach our children to trust God? But the simple answer is this, by trusting God. The way that you teach your kids to trust God is that they see you trusting and believing and leaning upon the Lord. That's how you learn. That's how you see it happening. That's how you know that that's what you're supposed to do. And I'm so thankful that what we get to do is not just allow them to see in us that we're trusting in the Lord, but they get to hear from us why we're trusting in the Lord. We trust in the Lord because we love him with all our heart, mind, and soul. And we love him with all of our heart, mind, and soul. Why? Because he first what? Loved us. And we get to share with our children the why we love the Lord, the why we serve the Lord. And we get to hear of these great stories um, and the, of him, how he's been faithful to us. But the Bible tells us here in verse 7 that they forgot. Israel kind of forgot what God had been doing in their life. These verses tell of how Israel forgot about the Lord's work. Have you ever gotten mad at Israel? I do. You know what? You went through the, the wilderness for 40 years. You, you saw the, the Red Sea part. You, you saw all the plagues. You, man, you saw manna fall from heaven. You saw all these things, but then you, then you forget. What's, what's your problem? How in the world could you forget um, all these things that the Lord has, has done for us? You know how you forget? Because you don't tell nobody. I have a Papa that I never got to meet and he died way before I was was around and only way I know about him is the stories I've been told about him and people that I don't even know will walk up to me in the streets of Louise and say you're Garfield's grand's boy Garfield not the cat my, my papa not the cat but everybody always would say, I have a few people come up to me in the street and say, you're Garfield's boy. You know why? I can tell you look just like him. So the, really the only thing I know about my grandfather, he's knocked down gorgeous. Um, that's the only thing I can figure out. He's a good looking man. It's the only thing I know. Um, but, but all the stories that they, they've told about, the only way I know about him is by people telling me about him, right? You know why people forget about God? Because we don't tell the stories. 
We don't reminisce of the faithfulness of God. We don't go back and say, hey, I was lost, but I was in my sin. But Jesus reached down and picked me up and established my feet upon the steps, on the rocks. And now I have been saved, gloriously saved. We forget to tell the stories. And when we forget to tell the stories, people don't know how great God is that we can trust God, that we can put our faith in him. Today, we as a church, what we ought to do is proclaim the faithfulness of God in our lives to each and every one of us. How could they forget the same way we forget? We forget sometimes how blessed we truly are. And last, we want absolutely everyone to live in obedience to the Lord. Second part of verse 7 says this, but keep his commandments and may not be like their fathers a stubborn and rebellious generation a generation that did not set its heart aright and whose spirit was not faithful to God we want absolutely everyone to know that they can trust in the Lord but also we want everyone to know that they have the possibility today to obey the Lord to be in obedience to him we all are in either one or two situations this morning we're either obeying God and listening to him or we're being stubborn rebellious unfaithful and we're refusing to give our hearts to God where are we at today our church still exists today so that people can know the Lord but we don't want just people just to know the Lord but we want people to make Christ known to all other people if we would have just started knowing the Lord in the 1870s by the 1900s we would all wibbled up and died because no one would have passed down the goodness of God it would have stopped right then but because people were not only trusting the Lord but obedient to the Lord and not only knowing God but now making God known we see throughout the days people coming to the faith and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ what we want people to know is the Lord but if you know him really know him you will want absolutely everybody to know him. I, I know you're hungry, but I got one more story. My kids are, are, are working in the hospitals now, so they're in what's called residency. So I, I started watching a show on TV, um, just a few shows, so I can know what they were going through. You know what I'm saying? So I can help them. I'm a helper. That's who I am. Um, so I started watching Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> I want to stop you right there, okay? I didn't watch it anymore, okay? I started, I said. I didn't say I'm still watching. I stopped. But one thing I discovered and I shared with my kids, whatever you do, please knock on a closet door before you enter that door. <laughs> that was the wisdom that I passed down to my children about working in the hospital because they're doing something they're not supposed to be doing in that closet. So if you're at Three Rivers, knock on closet doors or cabal, knock on closet. If you're working there and you're insulted, 
repent of your sins. No, I'm sorry. But one show that I got to see was inspired by God. And what happened was those two teenage boys got in a biking accident, and one of them ruptured his um, vein, his artery, the main one, and he lost tons of blood. And here they come rushing into the ER, and um, they, he needed a blood transfusion. He was completely out, and he needed more blood. But he had a necklace that allowed the hospital to know that the religion that he belonged to did not permit um, blood transfusions. So he was not allowed, they were not allowed to give him that blood to save his life. But the young man was with him said, that's not true. That he does not belong to that religious group and he does not believe that way. And the doctors asked him, but how do you know that he does not belong and how he does not believe that way? He said, well, he's been my best friend through middle school and high school. We've went everywhere together. We've not had a night apart hardly our whole entire lives. We've never went anywhere but without each other. We've only been together for eight solid years. And if he felt so convicted and even that he would give his life for something, if he really believed that, he would have told me his best friend over the last eight years about that. But he said, in my eight years, he has never mentioned God. He's never mentioned church. He's never mentioned nothing. So there is absolutely no way that that's true. And you can give him that blood because he does not believe that way. You know how true that is? A little young lady asked me a couple days ago, a couple months ago, she said, I'm dating a boy, and it's how excited she, is, he, she was that she was dating a boy. And I asked this. I said, how long have you been dating? It's been, been a while. I said, is he a, is he a Christian? Well, I don't know. I'll have to ask. I said, listen, don't bother asking him. Because if you've been dating him a couple months and you don't know, he ain't. He ain't. What do you mean? How do you know? Well, wouldn't he have told you? Wouldn't he have said something by now? Wouldn't he admit it? Wouldn't he say, hey, let's go to church? Wouldn't, wouldn't he have said something until now? And she said, well, I never thought about that. You know, guys, if you know God, you'll tell somebody about it. Amen. You know what this world needs today? For me and you not only to know God and to love him with all our heart and soul and mind, trust him. But obey him and keep his commandment. And the greatest commandment he gave us was to go into the uttermost parts of the world telling people how good and how marvelous are the works of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Psalms 100, verse 3, Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Know the Lord today. But not only know the Lord, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 3, Now by this we know him, if we keep his, his commandments. The devil knows the Lord. The 
the devil knows the Bible. But that does not mean you'll see the devil in heaven. It's not enough just to know of him, but it's to know who he is and what he's done for you. You know what's the greatest thing about homecoming is today? Is that we get to come home. There's an old song we used to sing, Lord, Lord, I'm coming home. And what awesome privilege of, the, of preaching the message of the Lord Jesus Christ is this. It calls people home. It calls people to himself, to Jesus Christ, to come back to him, to him who has saved you. And this morning, if you've already been, if you're a believer, but you've walked away, the Lord's saying, come home. This morning, if, you, if you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, never believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, you know what Christ is calling today? Come home. What do you mean it's my home? home. He has a home prepared for you. He says, come on home. He's asking you and calling you today. Dear sinner, come on home. Today is the invitation, the homecoming invitation to come to Jesus Christ. Lord God, we love you. We thank you for allowing us, Lord, today to come together and celebrate who you are. And Lord, how good you have been to us. And we want this whole entire world to know your marvelous deeds. How powerful you are. And Lord, how good you've been to us. And Lord, I ask today that we'll never forget your goodness. That we'll continue to proclaim your gospel to the uttermost parts of the world. Thank you for giving us that job as your church to do that which you've called us to do. To your name be glory. In Jesus' precious name we do pray. Amen. Let's stand. This is our time to respond to the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.
seated today. We have a, a beautiful opportunity. Y'all come on. I just made them sit down, and I'm going to get them right back up. Um, I had a brain freeze. I couldn't remember their names. I almost panicked. You know what I'm saying? I do that all the time. Marshall and is it Samantha, right? I'm really good at this right after I preach. You know what I'm saying? My, my, my mind is like spaghetti, and that's what happens. There's no spaghetti out there, I don't think. Maybe there'd be. But we're so thankful they came along beside of us for a while. How long? It's been a long time, right? Been to come to church for a while. Two and a half years, and, and, uh, and uh, they've, they've watched us for two and a half solid years. And, uh, um, but they've decided to come and part, be a part of our church. So what is the heart of your church that we accept them? Part of our church, they work together and serve the Lord. Everybody say amen. amen. Anybody against us, you can meet us in the back of the parking lot. <laughs> we'll take care of you. Amen. God bless you. You don't have a seat. Thank you for that.